Welcome to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. All right. Good evening, church. Good, yeah, good evening tonight. We're going to talk about becoming spiritually mature. You've been waiting for this for, for years and years. Now, tonight we're going to talk about becoming spiritually mature, the path and the process to becoming spiritually mature. Now, the Bible talks loads about this. It talks about this all over. The authors of the Bible are continually speaking and writing about how the process of becoming spiritually mature, it's, it's inseparable. It's inseparable from moments of testing. Moments of testing are entirely connected to the path and process of becoming uh, spiritually mature. We, things that we read about, like all through the Bible, like in James, at the very beginning of James, starting in verse 2, we read, Consider it great joy. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So God is seeking mighty men and women to live a life full of love, live a life full of faith, full of godliness in this broken generation. But, but mighty men and women, God doesn't just find them. He makes them. He makes them via testing and teaching and testing and teaching and testing. A few months ago, I, I, wrote about, I spoke about this vision that I had on the 12th of October where, where in prayer, I was asking God about why. why. Why am I experiencing such a difficult time? Why am I experiencing such intense pressures? Why am I experiencing so much, uh, so much pain and pressures and pressures that I'm still feeling now? And, and I told you about this, and if you were here, you remember, I, uh, I, I, I felt like God gave me this image, this vision of, of me being this piece of coal in his hand. And, and how God was able to take this coal and write it on this, this window thing, and, and he was able to write with it so that it could be seen. And that's good. But then God was taking this piece of coal, which was me, and he was squeezing it in his hand and and just crushing it with pressure. And it's because he was desiring to make a diamond out of this. And then he took this diamond and he wrote on the on the glass the same thing, but this time instead of just being written on the gl- glass, it was etched into the glass permanently. And, and, and he's like, Brian, you know what? You could be cold and I could write with you and, 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 and you, you're, you could preach my word and you could proclaim my name to this generation, be seen, and, and that would be great. But that's going to fade. That's going to wash away. The kinds of things that I'm going to want to do requires pressure, requires crushing, so that you don't just, your message doesn't just go out for a time or a season, but it's permanently etched in this nation, in this generation. I want to do more with you than the coal that you are, and so in order to do more with you, I need to apply pressure so that you become who I want you to become so that you can proclaim what I want you to proclaim and so that it will have a, leave a more permanent mark. And I can testify to you. I mean, if, if you were here, you remember me talking about that vision. I can testify to you. Um, I don't like being crushed. I, I don't like feeling 
pressure. It's brutal. But we can't become what God desires us to become without pressure, without testing. The pressures and testing are how we become strong and more mature. And sometimes we pass the test. And that's great. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we mess up so badly while, while under a testing process, we might worry whether there's any hope for us and for our future. Maybe we find ourselves in a season of messing up time and time again and have some epic spiritual failures and think, like, is there any hope for me and my future? Well, we're going to talk about that because we're in a study of the book of John. And this week we come to a very famous story where Peter, Peter completely fails his spiritual test. Where he, he's, he's completely bombing this test and with the result that he denies Jesus three times. Three times. For Peter, this moment is so humbling. It, it's, it's this epic failing moment for Peter in his life. And yet all four of the Gospels write about it. There, there are very few things in all four of the Gospels. But Peter and this, uh, and it, this humbling moment where he fails this, this test is in all four of them. And it's not because I, I think God wants us to know that Peter is a person too, um, makes mistakes. But I think he wants to remind us that there is no failure so bad that it can keep us from becoming the mighty men and women of God that, that he's calling us to be, that he's urging us to be, if we respond rightly and humbly, both when we pass the tests and when we crash and burn on the tests. Now, <clears throat> I'm way ahead of ourselves. I'm way ahead of ourselves today. So we're going to back up. We're going to remember the context of the story of Peter denying Jesus. We're going we're to back up, but we're going to back up before chapter 18. And we're going to go back a few hours earlier in this day to the chapter 13. Same day, a few hours earlier. And we're going to see the chapter 13. And we're going to pick up in verse 37. And, and they're all, the disciples are all at the, the Last Supper there. Jesus has already washed uh, their feet, and Judas has laughed, and Jesus is talking. Well, Jesus says this, in, in, or Peter starts talking in verse 37, which is usually a mistake when Peter starts talking, in the Gospels at least. And he says, Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, Really? Well, that's the short version. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. All right, so the context of today is Peter knows that the testing is coming. Peter knows it's going to Peter, Jesus has been very specific only a few hours earlier that same night that Peter's going to be tested and that he's actually going to, to fail the test. He's been warned. Jesus knows it's going to happen, and he knows that Peter isn't going to be able to stand in this testing moment. He knows Peter isn't ready for this. Now, when it comes to times of testing, we might not get as clear of a warning as Peter did. Sometimes we, we get that. I've had a few of those leading this church where God's given me a very specific warning about a testing that particular day, something to be um, aware of. But we don't usually get that. Uh, but we do live with 
the general understanding and a general warning that testings are coming, to expect them and to consider them a great joy when they do come. Testing moments are coming. If you're taking mo- notes, that's, that's something to just know and expect. Testing moments are coming. Some of you are in a time of testing. Some of you are in a time of testing, and you don't even realize that you're in a time of testing because we're going to talk about how subtle times of testing can be, and sometimes we don't even realize them in a moment. Now, we can be scared by this idea about times of testing because they're usually not fun. Usually uh, they, they might look, sound like or be like facing uh, a moment that's going to require a sacrifice where God's asking you to give up something. And you're wrestling with that. It just feels like so difficult. Or a testing moment where you you have to follow God in faith and you just don't understand. And and you can't see how things are going to turn out okay. Where you're not not confident at all about the steps and yet you you feel like God's drawing you and and you're you're trying to take those steps. Sometimes you feel um, times of testing could be like... uh, an opportunity to return. Abraham, in the book of Hebrews, it says he was given an opportunity to return, but he didn't. He stayed on track. That idea of, of returning to the safe place. You started off following God in faith, but then you, you got worried. I mean, there, there's lots of ways that we're, we're tested. Times where we're wrestling with doing what's right when we really don't want to. Where it's difficult, where it's scary, where it's unnerving. But the Bible keeps telling us to consider it a great joy. Consider it a great, not because of the testing, but because of the opportunity. Because of the opportunity, the opportunity to make another jump in your spiritual maturity. To make another jump. So that's, that's one piece of the context here. This idea of Peter knowing that, that the testing moment is going to happen. Now, not to give away the story again, but Peter is going to fail uh, this, this test, and, and he's, gonna, he's not going to pass this particular test. He's going to crash here. And there's two things that we can see here in, with Peter, two things that set him up to fail on this day. There's two things that we can see in his life that are going to set him up to fail. Those same two things, when they're present in our lives, set us up to, to fail, our spiritual tests. One of them here in this context has to do with his confidence being misplaced. So I want to give you a warning about misplaced confidence. This is not a warning about confidence. Uh, This is about misplaced confidence. Peter feels pretty confident that he is in, in no danger of failing this test tonight. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus is like, ah... Tonight, not only are you not going to do that, you're going to deny knowing me. You're going to deny being connected to me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Now, Peter has a lot of confidence. And actually, you know, Peter does end up laying down his life for Jesus. That that day is going to come, but that day is not going to be tonight. He's not there yet. And I like Peter's boldness, but sadly, his declarations... His, his, his confidence about where he's at in his faith aren't matching his maturity yet. And again, someday they will. You know, sometimes, sometimes we feel confident that we're going to follow God 
with all these big, in all the big ways, through all the big things. God, I'm not going to let you down in this. I'm going to follow you with all these big things. While at the same time, of declaring, God, I'm going to follow you with my life, whatever you want, whatever the cost. At the same time, though, we find ourselves keeping getting tripped up in the smaller things. Like telling the truth. Like forgiving people. Like purity stuff. Jesus, I will die for you. I will go wherever you want. But yeah, my, my fellow students or my, my coworkers don't really know that I'm a believer. But I will, I will die for I will live my life for you. It's that little, little things, big things kind of conundrum. Well, Peter... Peter's got misplaced confidence. He's got the big things, but does he have the small things right in his life? Uh, that's one of his things. But another story that sets up his failure here isn't actually recorded in the book of John. It's actually recorded in all, other, all the other three Gospels. And, and I'm going to read it from Mark's version. Why Mark? Because Mark is kind of Peter's version of the Gospel here. So kind of Peter's version of this moment in Mark chapter 14... Luke, Mark, Mark chapter 14. I'll find it somewhere. It's going to be after chapter 6. Mark chapter 14. So in the context is, uh, Jesus has taken them to the garden. And he's going to pray. And he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further ahead. And then Jesus becomes horrified as he thinks about what's about to happen. And he asks them to stay awake and pray while he goes a little bit further and prays. And then this is what we read in, in Mark 14, verse 37. So he's gone away to pray. Not what I will, but what you will. And then, verse 37 says, Then he came and found them sleeping. Simon, that's Peter's other name, Are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And, it, and he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is a warning about being unprepared. 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 See that? Unprepared. Now, I know that that walks the fine line between pure brilliance and totally stupid. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, but I'm living bold today, and I'm, I'm believing for brilliance, and <laughs> we're going with unprepared. Unprepared. And that's Peter. That's Peter. Your prayer life is entirely connected to your preparedness for testing moments. It's entirely connected with your preparedness for testing moments. Little prayer, little passing. If you pray little, your success rate for passing the big test is going to be low. You're going to be caught off guard. You're not going to be in communion closely with God where he's giving you heads up of what's going on, giving you understandings of what's going on in your life. You're going to think you're suffering, but you're not going to be able to see what God's plans and purposes are for you and for this moment and for the big pictures. Mature Christians pray a lot. They, they, they pray a lot. But they don't become mature 
and then they start praying. No, they, along the way, mature Christians have learned that if they want to pass the test and to keep passing the test to become mature, then they need to spend time praying and, and, and seeking God and understanding what's, what's going on in their life and, in order to be able to have the heads up to keep passing the test. Uh, they, they are learning godliness on the way to becoming mature comes through times of prayer. Prayer is just key to passing all the tests along the way. Now, I hate to say this out loud, but these last five and a half years have been really hard on me. They've been really hard on me. Strong testings of many kinds, but again, I remember writing this on Friday. But praise God for them because of the dramatic acceleration in my own personal prayer life. Praise God for what he's done in, in transforming my prayer life these, these last five and a half years through times of, of difficulties and pain. Okay, so Peter has been warned. He's been warned that the testing is coming. His confidence is misplaced. He is unprepared. He's unprepared. And then Jesus is arrested and taken to Annas' house for his first trial. Peter follows and this is what we now read in chapter 18 of the book of John, picking up in verse 15. It says this. It says, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Okay, just a quick note here on this. It's believed uh, commonly that John is the other disciple, the unnamed one. That's how he tends to refer to himself through, throughout this book. But then you start thinking to yourself, well, you wonder, like, wow, how is it that John knows is acquaint an acquaintance of the high priest of the nation. What's going on here? There is some amazing, interesting backstory going on here. And, and I don't have the answer to this mystery. Um, some people think, well, maybe John's, John was part of the priestly family. Uh, and like, he's a fisherman. How can he, Well, remember, we saw that the, the priests are only working like two weeks a year in the temple. And then they go home and they do their other jobs, whether it's farming or whatever, for the other bits of the year. Like maybe, maybe John's family is connected to the, the high priest's family in one way or another. But, but anyways, there's a connection there. And that's, that's just really interesting. It'd be an interesting story, but it's going to remain a mystery for now. So John's in there. And then he wants to bring Peter in. And I, I don't want you to miss that. That John's in there. He's, he's in that courtyard. And he's going to bring Peter in. Verse 17. Then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now you know how... Rhetorical questions work, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you do. Where, where, you, where you say a question and the words are spoken in such a way where there's an implied answer. We, we know what your answer is going to be. It's, it's going to be yes or it's going to be no. When this slave girl, when she asked this question to Peter, it's worded in such a way where 
we, she just expects the answer is going to be no. She's asking the question, but she's just wording it in such a way where she's expecting the answer to be no. And, and Peter really over-responds to her question here. He responds strongly, I am not, emphatically, I am not, I am definitely not. He says, uk emi, I am not. Uh, just a fun little fact from last week. We saw that Jesus... When he was approached in the garden, he said, who is it that you're looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus' response was, ego, amy, I am. Well, here, you don't belong to Jesus, do you? Uk, amy, I am not. He's like, Peter's like, I am not. I am definitely not. What a contrast. He responds strongly to this question, a bit defensively, and he, and he lies. He just lies. Why does he lie? Is he in danger? No. No, not really. Not yet. They aren't looking for the disciples. They were there in the garden. They just they let him go. They're not looking for the disciples. Peter is not in danger he just wanted to be in the courtyard. Where he, he just wanted to be in that, in that courtyard where he could see Jesus. And, and yes, he, he denies Jesus, but, but even more, he, he just lies. And, and this test is just so subtle. It's so subtle. He doesn't realize that he's denying Jesus. He's not going to realize this for quite a bit. He, he, he's just giving a, a little lie so that he can get into the courtyard. That's all he's doing. Just a little lie to get in the courtyard. He lies. He lies to get where he wanted to go. He lies to get where he wanted to go. Now, we'll talk about denying Jesus in a moment, but let's not miss this. He wants to be in the courtyard where he can see Jesus. We know that he can see Jesus. We know Jesus can see him because of that really creepy sentence in, in the book of Luke where Jesus didn't, or Peter denies Jesus for the third time and then Jesus turns and looks at him. He just, uh, we know that, that he's in the courtyard. He can see Jesus. Jesus can see, can see him. And, and he failed this test by lying so that he could get where he wanted to be where he could see Jesus instead of being asked. How many times have you failed, don't give me a number, uh, have you failed God tests by lying so that you could get where you wanted to go? I mean, it just seems so small. Just a little lie now and then I can be there. Just a little lie now and I can have that. I can have all of that. If I just, just a little bit now and, and, and I can get where I, I want to go. Many of the tests in your life come down to a simple moment of truth where you will tell the truth no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, or you'll lie, or you'll lie. Peter failed the first time by lying. I am not. I'm not a disciple of Jesus. We continue reading in, in verse 18. Uh, it says, now the slaves... And the temple police had made a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire because it was cold. And really, it is. It gets cold in Jerusalem in the spring and in the autumn. Uh, when the sun goes down, it, it does get cold. They were standing there warming themselves. And Peter was standing with them. 
warming himself. Okay, now this is a, a, another fun fact for, for you. The charcoal fire here where P Peter is standing, where he can see Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus can see him, where Jesus is going to look and see him at this charcoal fire. The word here, charcoal fire, charcoal fire only appears twice in the New Testament. It appears once here, and then once in John chapter 21, when Jesus makes a charcoal fire to cook breakfast when he's going to restore Peter from this moment where he's denying him at this charcoal fire. I, I, just, I just think that's crazy. That's amazing. That in this moment, Peter denies Jesus three times, charcoal fire. Jesus turns and looks at him. Peter believes this is the last time that he's ever going to see Jesus, that, that he's ever going to see Jesus. Peter's going to leave. There's no record of him uh, being at the cross. And yet, Jesus takes note, and he makes a charcoal fire to make this moment of messing up, this moment of failure, right. Uh, in just a few days, I think that's pretty great. That's pretty amazing. It's like Jesus is clocking what's happening and brings it back together. Anyway, so the story here focuses, it, it, Peter's made these denials, and then it's going to shift focus. It's going to look at the, the trial here. We're going to look at that next week. So we're going to skip the trial bit here, uh, Jesus before Annas. And then we're going to skip down to verse 25 where Peter's going to deny him again and then again. It says this in verse 25. It says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Okay, really highlight it. It's, it's cold here. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. In other of the, the Gospels, it says well, they can sense, they or not sense, they can tell he has a, a Galilean accent. And, and yet still the way that this question is worded, it's, it's expecting a no answer. You're, you're not, no, that's, that's the expectation. And Peter, again, is a little bit over the top, a little bit defensive in his answer. I am not. Okay, me. I am not. Again, I really don't think Peter's in danger. Historically, I've thought of him as being in danger. That's how I've kind of thought about this. I've thought about uh, imagining him. If he says yes, then they're going to grab him and be like, here's another one of them. And they're going to drag him up there, stand him next to Jesus. They're going to beat him along with Jesus. They're going to mock him along with Jesus. And they're going to crucify him next to Jesus. That's kind of what I thought was, was going on here. That's how I imagined it. But, but, but then I was like, wait a minute. That's actually not what's going on. They, they're not pursuing the disciples. They, they let him go. John's there. John's around. He's in the courtyard. It's, this is not like a high danger moment. But... If they just don't want the disciples around. They, they don't want them there. Now, this might be an, an understatement, an incredible understatement, a, a major oversimplification, but let's talk about this lie here. He lies to avoid rejection. Maybe being pushed away from the fire. Maybe being uh, shunned by these people. Again, this might be completely understated, but one of the ways that we, we fail tests is by telling little lies so that people will like us and not reject us. Maybe we change a few facts to, to spice up the story. Or maybe we take someone else's story and make it our story. Or maybe we just lie because we think that people would, would like us better if we tell 
a different version of ourselves. In the case, in the case of Peter here, you know, telling him he doesn't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus, so they won't chase him away from the fire and kick him out. And so, um, yeah, just kick him out of the courtyard. Now, I'm going to throw out a bold statement here. I bet that there are some people in this very room who have lied in order to avoid rejection. Some will lie about their pasts to people that they want to date or that they are dating or want to marry or are marrying. They'll lie about their past so they don't get rejected by them. Because they want to be like, don't, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Lying to avoid rejection. I bet some people have lied about or, or downplayed their belief in Jesus just to avoid some rejection by, by friends or, or family or whatever. Peter is denying Jesus, and that's a huge deal. Um, he doesn't realize it. I want to keep saying that. He doesn't realize that's what he's doing. He's just telling just little lies, little lies here. And, and he's, he's failing his testing moments one little lie at a time. Just one little lie at a time. He's failing. He doesn't realize it yet. And so the story keeps going. And we read this in verse, verse 26. Uh, one of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden with the sword cutting off my relative's ear? I mean, just thinking about this, again, I, I, John doesn't even mention that Jesus puts it back on. It's like, what else is it mentioned? Jesus puts it on and then he takes it back off again, throws it on the ground, like, <laughs> just kidding. You know, I don't know, what he, I don't know what's going on there. But, but John doesn't even mention that he gets second back on. But you know that this guy was clocking. He was there. He saw Peter. He saw the sword. He saw the, the cutting off of his friend's ear. And he was clocking that. But again, verse 27, Peter then denied it again. Immediately, the rooster crowed. This, this, other, other uh, versions say he calls down curses on himself. And he swears that he, that, that, he wasn't, that he wasn't there. Basically, this guy knows he was there. He saw him in the garden, saw him with a sword, saw, saw him cutting off his friend's ear. You clock that kind of thing, right? He's been caught in his lie. He's been caught in his lie. And so he lies to cover his lies. He, he, he lies emphatically, no, I'm going to bring more passion in my lie, and then that will cover for it. I, I suppose when I think of the story of Peter denying Jesus, I think of it as this massive, massive fail moment. And, and it was, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But I hope you can see that massive fail moments happen from simple lie moments. Massive fails can be rooted in just simple lie moments, subtle compromises. And Peter's tested, and he fails the test because he doesn't see it. He, he, he's, he's unprepared. He, hasn't, he, he knew it was coming, but he, it's so subtle. He, he's not thinking, I'm here denying Jesus. In fact, I, I, feel, I bet he has very good reasons in his own mind why he is lying, why it makes sense to him. Probably, my guess is that he's lying for these great reasons. Peter said that even if everybody else abandons you, Jesus, I will not abandon you. 
He's thinking, I want someone, I want to be there and not abandon Jesus while he's on trial. I want to be there where Jesus can see me. I want to be there where he knows that he's not alone, where he's got friends, where I'm, I'm, I'm there within eyesight. I can hear what's going on. I can, stand, I can be close by. I, I bet that he has those good motives. If, if I can just get in there, then I can be with Jesus and, and not abandon him like, like other people can be. And so if I just say this little lie, then I can, I can be there. Not abandoning Jesus. Good, justifiable reasons. Those great reasons can make us so blind to the very simple realities. You just denied knowing Jesus. But I, but I wanted to not abandon him. I wanted to be, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be, be with Jesus. Those good reasons made him just so blind to what he was actually doing. And only when the rooster crows does he realize that he might not have abandoned Jesus physically, but he just denied three times knowing him. If you remember what what Jesus said, uh, what he taught in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, he taught, whoever denies me before people, before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Like, this is a big deal. You deny me, I'm going to deny knowing you before God. Peter's just done the very thing, this, this very thing, denying Jesus. And he didn't even realize he was doing it. It was so subtle, so, so sneaky. He didn't even realize what was happening. He wasn't being intentional about it. It was just happening. When we distance ourselves from knowing and believing in Jesus so that people will like us, maybe? Not reject us? We're denying our, our closeness with Jesus. We're denying Jesus, and that is a huge, huge, huge fail. We don't even clock that sometimes. How does Peter respond to his big failure moment? How does he respond? When he's tested, when he knows he's going to be tested, and when he just bombs the test. Well, the first thing he does is he goes out and he weeps bitterly, says the Gospels. He weeps bitterly, responding with weeping. When you sin, when you mess up with God, does it break your heart? Does it break your heart? I hope so. I hope so. I hope that your love for God is so fresh and alive, that failing the God test moments in your life, it moves you to tears. God, I, I'm so distraught at what, that, I, that I'm, I missed that one. I'm so distraught. In 2 Corinthians 7, we see how godly grief produces repentance leading to salvation. Godly grief. Tears are good. Weeping in agreement with, with God about our mistakes is a, is a powerful, restorative Thing. It's powerful at restoring our relationship with him. So I see Peter weeping. I also see that Peter doesn't run away from his friends. He doesn't run away from the other, other disciples after that. He could have been like, I blew it. I can't face my fellow believers. I blew it. I denied Jesus. I said I wouldn't. I said I would die with him. I, I said all these things, but I ended up being just, I made a mistake in the moment. He could have run away from his fellow believers. But he, instead, we see him staying with the believers all throughout the rest of the gospel and into the book of Acts. He doesn't, he doesn't leave. 
Responding by not running away from believers because of guilt. It's a temptation. Judas succumbs to that temptation. Judas feels guilty. He let Jesus down. He betrayed him to the point of death. A big deal. But he also, he leaves and he kills himself. Believing there's no hope for his future. Peter failed. He denied Jesus that big thing. If you deny me, I deny you. But he doesn't run away. He keeps going. And ultimately, Peter's restored by Jesus at the charcoal fire. And then he ends up leading the apostles at Pentecost and, and being part of leading the early church in those days. Sometimes when we fail... We're tempted to stop believing that there's, there's hope for us or that God or God's people, they, they don't want us around. We, we've messed up. We've messed up. And we stop believing that there's hope for us in our future. And maybe we just feel like we just want to give up, give up on church, on, on, on Christians, on, on people because we've just messed up. Friends, I love to say this. I love to say it over and over and over again, just reminding us that there is always hope for you and your future. There's always hope for you in your future through any failure, through any mistake, through any lie, through any crash. There's always hope for the one who humbles themselves in these moments of mistakes and who keeps going. Who humbles themselves and picks themselves up. Who humbles themselves and goes back to Jesus and said, I was wrong. Who grieves with Jesus about the reality. Who grieves and, and owns it in front of, of people and saying, I, I messed up. Who repents. There's, there's always hope for the one who humbles themselves and returns. And we can't do this life without Jesus' help. Without his grace. Without his forgiveness. And it's, it's humbling. It's humbling to mess up. But there's always hope for you if you don't give up. And instead, with humility, you go to Jesus, you agree with him about your failure, ask for grace today, for today, and amazing hope for tomorrow. Jesus really does love you. He, he saved you, and, and he offers forgiveness. He saved you at a great cost. And, and maybe you're here tonight, and, and you're just feeling like you're here after a huge failure. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, okay, it was a little lie, but now I see that's a big deal. And, and, and I've crashed on this one. Grieve it. But don't give up. Stay with God's people and go to Jesus for restoration. It is his joy to forgive and restore you. We're going to talk more about restoration in a few weeks when we get to chapter 21. But for now, I've got three challenges for you. Three, three challenges. Challenge number one is this. Getting right with Jesus. Confession prayers about being quiet or downplaying your belief in Jesus around certain people so that they'll like you, so they'll accept you. Just downplaying the, your, your joy, the joy of your salvation. Downplaying it. Say, God, I, I've been embarrassed. I've been ashamed. Maybe I've not lied about it, but I've been ashamed and I've stayed silent about it. Secondly, uh, an honesty moment. Do you have a lying issue? No. Okay. Do you have a lying issue? Give it a little bit more thought. Give it a little bit more thought. If so, you know, go to Jesus, repent, and make some restitutions uh, or resolutions about being a man or woman of truth. 
And thirdly, are there some lies that you need to humble yourself and correct with people? Maybe you're hearing like, oh, I do not want to do that. That's humbling. Right. There's some lies maybe that you need to humble yourself and correct with people in this time. Thank you.